Broadcasting live from your living room, it's Movie Theater Time Machine. Welcome, welcome, friends. I am your narrator, Bob. And from all of us here at MTTM, we sincerely hope you are doing well wherever you are listening from. Uh, Today we'll be discussing the 1984 titillating fantasy classic. I'm so happy I can say that again. Never-ending story. Watch the film, friends. It'll make complete sense. Yep. You said titillating. (laughs) We have a... Go ahead. I'm sorry. I was just doing butthead impression. Wow. Oh, going to butthead. Nice. With that, <laughs> the cast uh, includes Barrett Oliver as Bastion Books. We have Noah Hathaway as Atreyu. Tammy Stronach as the childlike Empress. We also have Alan Oppenheimer doing Felcor, Gmork, Rockbiter, and voice of the narrator. And we also have Deep Roy. As Teeny Weenie, this film was directed by Wolfgang Peterson. I'd like to turn it over to our heroic panel to introduce themselves. Go ahead, guys. Hi, I'm Nick. Hi, I'm Kaz. I'm Dan. I'm Jocelyn. And, and like well, I said, we have oh, God. Yep. Oh, wow, thanks. Yeah. <laughs> hey, I'm still and here. And all the rest. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Time Machine Podcast. So like I said, today we'll be reviewing the uh, never-ending story. The original release of this began as a German book titled Die Unend Lichi Geschachte, if I butchered it, my apologies. The book was published in 79. It was a uh, young adult novel. Uh, The writer was Michael End. It was then translated and republished into English in 1983, the book did follow the adventures of Bastion Bucks, who in the book was a... Book smart, still the same as the film, overweight, a little different from the film, um, victimized by bullies, same idea, uh, and he dives into a fantasy world uh, of the novel, same as the story uh, in the film, uh, The Neverending Story, he'd be, by reading it, and later by literally entering the world of the novel, uh, The Neverending Story was of course adapted into a film uh, same title, released in uh, U.S. theaters in July 20 of 1984. It was also released April 6 of 1984 that year. Uh, the film only used uh, the first half of the book uh, by Michael End. Uh, this was... Uh, it was That was among the issue and several others, including my favorite uh, reference to the titillating earlier. Uh, that really... Uh, uh, irked him about the the film just say sphinx boobs or sphinx boobs yes uh, if you like to go that route (laughs) sure and uh but either way you can learn your twos table (laughs) (laughs) i could do the i could do a a counting chart but i'll let our viewers uh take the time to do it themselves if they have the time i'm sure they do you need your abacus Uh, let's see, uh, diving even deeper, uh, here's like a brief summary of the film. We have Bastion, a solemn young boy grieving the loss of his mother, uh, while living at home with his dad. He's tormented by school bullies, just like, as I said, in the, the novel, and on this particular occasion, jumping back into the film, of course, I'm speaking, he's evading, uh, these bullies, and, and he's able to escape into a nearby bookstore, uh, the name of the uh, the Coriander Books Shop, uh, where the owner reveals an ancient book to him, uh, titled The Never-Ending Story. 
The owner warns of the dangers the book holds to the one who reads it. This entices, entices excuse me, Bastion to swipe the book and leave a courteous note that he will return it when finished. Very nice of him to do that. Bastion hides himself away in his school's attic where he reads the book, becomes deeply drawn into the world of Fantasia. It's a, a mythical land in desperate need of a hero. We're guided on this journey, of course, by the uh, amazing warrior Atreyu. His he quest to save Fantasia before it is too late. So we have the questions of, will Atreyu be able to save Fantasia? What is the nothing? And what, if at all, does Bastion have to do with the story? Let's find out. So I'd like to turn to our panel and ask for your uh, input. What is what is this about? What is this? Personally, I just clouds. like... Clouds. Yeah. Cl clouds approaching, being the harbingers of doom. Well, actually, <laughs> the harbingers of nothing, because doom would be something. <laughs> <laughs> Clouds or something. Yeah, but tell I'm... me more about the clouds. <laughs> uh, is this a Rorschach test? I mean, a little bit. What do you see in the clouds? Uh, your butt. <laughs> <laughs> I say that one over there looks like a dick, and then that one over there looks like Godzilla, and then those. Oh no! <laughs> it's four twenty today. Tarantino directed cut. <laughs> <laughs> All the clouds look like feet. <laughs> That one looks like a foot. And that one, that one looks like a foot too. Quentin, Quentin, we get it. It's it's okay. Go, go sit down. Like Sarah Jessica Parker? <laughs> so Jocelyn and Dan, could you, either of you speak uh, about your, the impact the book had on you uh, over the years? I know it's something we did talk about recently. Yeah, even in a, the, we can uh, say it in a podcast format, but could you uh, tell me again the... Uh, your uh, your interest, uh, how you came into the book, uh, the impact it had on your life, and uh, what of it that do you really like? Well, uh, I'll go first. The, this movie is one that I watched hundreds of times with my mom. It's a me and my mom sort of thing. It's like this and Star Trek movies, essentially. Um, and it's got that connection. And part of the reason why I actually read the book, because generally I'm the kid that was okay with just the movie and dealing with that, I never could figure out what Bastion was saying at the very end when he shouts into the into the storm, shouts his mother's name. Because when we watched it, we had a VHS copy. It was not the greatest TV in the world, and the sound quality wasn't perfect. So when he started yelling into the storm, all we heard was, rah, rah, rah. <laughs> And then we later got a TV that had closed captioning, which was an amazing technology at the time. Closed captioning just says, bracket, yelling, close bracket which helped us mm -hmm. yeah. not at all. So I ended up going to the library and finding the original book and trying to figure out what he said and eventually fa learning that he said Moonchild. Now, that took way more effort on my part than it did for Joss over here because Joss... Uh, okay, so I saw this movie the first time. I was probably about five or six years old. And it became one of my favorites, and I used to watch movies that were my favorites when I was young over and over and over. Um, and I ended up having a friend who lived next door who was a few years older than me, and she loved it too. And she watched it because she had a wicked crush on Atreyu. So we watched it a lot together. And the end of the movie, where Bastion's screaming a name out in, into the storm, bugged the hell out of me. Because 
you can't really make out what he says. And I was that kid who was a stickler for detail. And I probably rewound that scene thousands of times to really hear what he says. And I, like, slow-mo'd it. You used to be able to slow-motion, slow motion, um, at least my VCR let me do it. Mm -hmm. yeah. um, so I actually, like, learned to read his mouth and then really listened and I knew it was Moonchild and I went to school actually um, once I figured it out and nobody believed me. <laughs> you were that kid. You're like, well, actually, I know what he said. Bullshit. <laughs> well, because it, for some reason it became a conversation. Yeah. And mm -hmm. I was like, oh no, this is what it is. And everybody was like, you're full of it. Nobody knows what it is. Nobody can understand it's it. like, you're not supposed to know what he says. Yeah, it's part of the movie. Well, and not, I'm like, not really, uh, but, all right. bullshit. <laughs> um, Why would it be in the book? It was in the book, but nobody at my school had read the book at, the, at that time. I also went to Catholic school, and they kind of snubbed their nose at fantasy. Yeah, it was probably one of those uh, books they just didn't have in their library. Yeah, no, we, there were a few of them we didn't have. Um... So, yeah, that's basically where mine came from. Yeah, for me, um, when I was a kid, I, I think I experienced it on HBO, and um, I really like this film. It's, you know, looking back <clears throat> from the time I watched it as a kid to looking at it now, I feel like the special effects holds up. I'm really impressed by the, uh, overall, the, uh, all the, the creature effects in the film. Very practical at the time. Um, when this film was made back in 84, it was the uh, most expensive German film uh, made as an, uh, it was a German production. Mm -hmm. uh, filming locations included uh, Canada. Uh, for the, for sure the Bastion scenes. Yes, for Bastion. Uh, those included uh, the home, uh, the bullying scenes, and the school, uh, everything else, uh, which was creature-related or came from the land of Fantasia, was filmed in Germany. Um, really, I mean, there's so many critical pieces of the film, um, from, uh, be it the, the Orin, which is something we see on the NeverEnding Story book. It's something we see Atreyu carry with him on his quest across Fantasia. Um, what is your impression, uh, Nick, of, uh, the Orin? Do you feel, like, how did, uh, do you feel it's something that was very critical to the film? Like, did it, um, what was the impact of it? Well, I mean, every story like this, every fantasy needs a tool. Like, you know, Mario has the mushrooms, and Sonic has his go-fast ability. Rings. And, yeah, the rings, mm -hmm. thank you. And yeah. the Chaos Emerald. In, yeah. In Kroll, it's the so, glaive. You know, there's always that, yeah, there's always that so, MacGuffin. Yeah, so this, this little pretzel-looking thing is super important because it's like it I think for the adults if they didn't see that it's like oh the kids just make a wish and things happen but uh, he makes a wish because he has that amulet so it's like oh okay he made a wish he has the amulet and then it's just a natural way to connect the fantasy to the real world yes it makes it slightly less half-assed when they just happen to, to stumble upon the ivory tower right. after right. everything else is destroyed 
And that's yeah, something agree. that it doesn't really show at the beginning of the movie. You kind of learn about it as you go. It's like, yeah, they don't come right out and say, take the Auron, this thing will grant all of your wishes. I mean, that's kind of what they say or, at the beginning of the second movie. Yeah. But uh, mm -hmm. the second movie isn't amazing. <laughs> it's better than the third, but so is a sharp stick in the eye. So. Yeah. Now, uh, the other uh, part of the film, uh, it's very... Uh, very special to a lot of people who've watched uh, watched it is the uh, the horse Artax. Artax, of course, is the uh, the carrier for Atreyu uh, as he uh, begins his quest across Fantasia. Um, and one of the most difficult scenes in the film for a lot of fans uh, and people that have like a deep connection to it is uh, the death of Artax. Now, when we see uh, Artax and Atreyu. Uh, Moving through the uh, the swamp of sadness, it's a uh, it's a very fascinating scene because the, obviously we're led to understand the the impact of the swamp because it does say the word sad. So obviously we know there's an emotional impact to it. Um, we don't focus as much on Treyu. It's more of the the impact of Artax, and we see Artax get to a point where he uh, gives up and he ch chooses to go no further with Atreyu, But Atreyu is pushing him, begging him. Artax, come on. You gotta make it. Don't give up. Come on, you, the, what, come on you stupid horse. You, don't, you, you gotta right. keep moving. Don't exactly. let the swamps get yeah. to you. And it just, what really struck me most about that scene is when Atreyu is, he's not, you see uh, the perspective of him looking obviously at uh, Artax, but there's uh, there are points in the scene where Atreyu's looking at us. He's yep. not He's not only just dragging Artax, he's, yeah. he's pulling us in the process. So mm -hmm. I, I liked how uh, the director was able to combine both the impact uh, of his, uh, how he felt emotionally towards Artax, but also how he's looking at us uh, to imply like how he is feeling, just to see the tears just running down his face. It was just, it was, it was quite dramatic. And I was very impressed by uh, Noah Hathaway's uh, performance of it and how he was able to I've just really, really left a mark. Yeah. I mean, you, yeah, you can say what you want about child actors, and there are a lot of them that aren't great, <clears throat> Jake Lloyd, but uh, <laughs> you can't say that about Noah Hathaway or, uh, what was his name, Barrett Oliver was his name? Yes. Uh, it was Bastion. Like, they were very, very good in their roles. Yeah, Barrett Extremely Oliver. Good. Yeah, he was uh, one of the, uh, the top picks for the uh, the film. Yeah. Uh, Barrett Oliver, of course, he was in uh, other notable classics, Cocoon, Daryl, and uh, there's another one escaping me at the moment. Cocoon but he was uh, a very popular. Oh, Cocoon too. There you go. Yeah. Here we cocoon again. And uh, Electric Boogaloo Coon. <laughs> Wait, that sounded bad. That might have been accidentally racist. I apologize. I retract that line. Oh, here we go again, editing. Yeah. Oh, I was just joking. <laughs> Electric Cocoonaloo. There you yeah, go. That, that, that works better. That oh. works better. <laughs> uh, but uh, it was Noah Hathaway, who was originally uh, picked for the film, uh, as it was a uh, initially a different director whose name is not uh, I don't have at the moment, but was later replaced by Wolfgang Peterson, director. Uh, thereby, uh, Hathaway was uh, removed or then fired, but rehired as a result of uh, when Peterson was uh, hired as the director. So thankfully, he was able to be brought back. But it was interesting just reading uh, a. From some of the cast, um, I guess Hathaway was, as much as um, we talk uh, very highly of his performance, his commitment to the role, and just the impact overall he's had on our 
our upbringing and uh, just looking back on him, uh, I guess he was a bit of a difficult actor to work with. Um, and uh, when you consider the facts, uh, he was nearly drowned, he was stepped on by a horse. Um, I, I kind of do feel for him, so if he was uh, a bit of a punk or, you know, I guess he, he went through the shit a little bit and he did have to, uh, you know, prove himself. So if he did uh, throw a little bit shade back at them, I can kind of understand how he would have felt that way. But hopefully it wasn't too much of a, a pain in the butt that people were uh, utterly disgusted with him, as uh, I don't believe that is the case. Hmm. See, I had I hadn't known that he was apparently uh, a bit of a diva on set. Like I, I hadn't I hadn't read that part, but uh, I mean, again, he nearly drowned in the swamps of sadness. He got stomped on by a horse. I can almost I can kind of get it. Yeah, you can kind of understand right. why he might have been a little a little off. Yeah. <laughs> well, there's there's that part that's like yeah, that's understandable. And then there's, like, Mel Gibson. Right. He is nowhere near the Mel Gibson. No. As far as I know, uh, he's not, he's also not super racist, so he's definitely not right. Mel Gibson. He's nowhere near the Mel Gibson. Yeah. <laughs> By far. Other notable uh, characters in the film uh, that stuck out to me... Uh, to talk a little bit about the childlike empress. Now, the childlike empress we we see here specifically at the uh, the beginning of the film uh, when uh, the grouping of characters Rockbiter, Teeny Weeny, uh, and his quick snail, and uh, the uh, the bat and the uh, Nom Gobbler, if I'm not mistaken, uh, the <laughs> Night Hop. Night Hop. Thank you very much. Uh, they're all convening <laughs> to Night Gobbler. Kid, you don't have to buy me dinner. <laughs> <laughs> they're all moving with the intention towards the uh, central part of Fantasia, as they're all like, uh, as they're all uh, been chosen by their uh, ancestors or the people, their people in particular, to uh, converge and uh, find a resolution. Uh, as the nothing is uh, on track to uh, wiping them out or obliterating them. Um, of course, we. Uh, uh, we're introduced uh, by Moses Allen, who plays the uh, the black gentleman, uh, who has the uh, he's shark like, fin on his head. He's like the, the sure steward, I think. I'm not sure the character steward, has a yes. name. Yeah. Either way, he he's the uh, the one that uh, informs us that the uh, the childlike empress is not well. She uh, she is not in good health. Um, it's like unfortunate. Her, her health is tied into the health of Fantasia, and if the nothing's tearing apart the world, it's also tearing her apart. Because she's somehow interconnected to the entire, the entirety of Fantasia. We're then reintroduced to her. Actually, I take that back. We we don't actually we're we're verbally spoken of. She's verbally spoken of. We're aware of her presence uh, at the uh, beginning, but then we're not fully able to see her until the conclusion of the film, which uh, Atreyu interacts with her, uh, and they, uh, they realize that uh, this is it for Fantasia, and it's really up to uh, this chosen human being, this special person, uh, to save them, um, and it's a matter of naming uh, the childlike Empress, and we're thankful to uh, Bastion, who is uh, on this journey from the start, and who thankfully is able to uh, give her a special name. Now, um, before we actually get into the name, I think we did speak of it briefly. What did you guys have uh, another particular name that you considered uh, giving her? Because the the one that came to mind for me 
with Serenity, but um, unless we have some fantasy casting, we want to withhold that until the end. Um, Debra. Please, please elaborate. <laughs> Debra. Karen. Oh, Damn. God. The childlike Empress Empress would like to... <laughs> Empressy face. Yeah, the childlike <laughs> Empress would like to see your manager. <laughs> she is the manager. Oh, shit. The childlike Empress, that bitch Carol Baskin. Does that make her Susan? <laughs> What's that? If Karen is the one asking for the manager, is the manager Susan? I think so. <laughs> well. <laughs> I don't get it. Oh, Susan so is another one of those those names. Um, I, th- I think that people like, associate. I think the big meme name now is Carol, though. It's Carol. Um, it's Becky. <laughs> With the good hair. Yeah. <laughs> about Felicia? Felicia gets no love lately. Well, no, Felicia's old. Felicia's uh, grandma now. Yeah, that, oh, no. <laughs> that, that meme... She has exited. That yeah. meme's been around longer the than premises. a month, therefore it is ancient. <laughs> That's quick. Uh, other notable characters... I character. want her to be called Loretta. <laughs> <laughs> I want her to be a woman. Get the fetus in a box. <laughs> Sorry, I just other, didn't throw that out there. Other notable character in the film, uh, of course, was Gamork. We were introduced to Gamork uh, early on, uh, who does have a rivalry with Atreyu, as Gamork was sent by the Nothing to uh, eliminate any uh, anybody trying to defend Fantasia, trying to prevent the Nothing from uh, taking over completely. Uh, early on in the film, as uh, Atreyu was with Artax, making it through the uh, swamp of sadness, we do get an instance of uh, Gamork uh, in the... Like, just actually first-person perspective, just uh, hurrying through the swamp to uh, catch up to Atreyu. Now, Gamork doesn't actually uh, understand or know really who Atreyu is. Uh, Gamork has a goal. Eliminate Atreyu. Uh, whether he has an impression of how Atreyu looked, uh, it wasn't really, I wasn't really aware of that or uh, could take Well, I mean, take away. The, the nothing is a shitty boss. All he, he gave no direction. He just said, go and do this thing. What do you expect from nothing? Exactly. He's a terrible yeah. boss, gave him no information, gave him nothing. <laughs> da, 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 da. <laughs> Absolutely right. And so His then uh, we're. Was cloudy. <clears throat> it was whole. Just a big black hole. Anyway, so then we're later introduced, of course, to uh, Gamork, who, who is. Uh, made his way across Fantasia and re-encounters uh, Atreyu. Now, actually, they're face-to-face and able to identify. Now, in the process of making it there, uh, we have the uh, character Falcor, who we'll get into, uh, who is a, the, uh, becomes the uh, transport once Artax is, uh, is, uh, has moved on, has, uh, has passed has on. Has shuffled off this mortal coil and joined the choir eternal. I'm sorry, I didn't He's no more. He ceased to be. Yep. <laughs> right. This is an anyway. ex horse. <laughs> it is no more. Pining <laughs> for the fjords. <laughs> I don't know what was just said, but okay. Anyway, Pining so. Pining for the fjords? No, there was something else, but I'll keep hurrying through this so we can continue forward. Yep, yep. So uh, we're at the end of uh, where we're, we uh, meet again to tree you at the, uh, I guess you, said, uh, you guys told me the, uh, the central part of uh, Fantasia. Yes. Uh, before it was broken up from the ivory tower and we see different uh, caricatures on the, like etched in stone. And it looks to be the story of Atreyu who has uh, been crossing this, uh, the, the plains or the mythical land of 
Fantasia. We see like and they're his like introduction. yeah, they're like yeah, ancient murals that had been there for for generations before he even got there. Right. So yeah. so Atreyu is kind of thrown off by this whole thing. Uh-huh. <laughs> it's almost as if there is, is a prophecy. Yeah. <clears throat> as if there was a book written about them. Right. That came later on. Weird. <laughs> if things but, are written down. <laughs> well, it's very striking to see uh, as he's looking at these different uh, stoned uh, caricatures of his uh, of his journey. We and see this like starking, uh, like grim faced look of uh, Gamork, this like evil looking uh, werewolf who again reminded me of uh, the werewolf from Thriller, uh, yeah. like similar uh, appearance. Yeah. And uh, we see Gamork within like we have this quick shot to see actually Gamork. Hiding behind this stone wall, I guess he seemingly broke through, or is just coming out, uh, coming around the other side of it, and is staring directly back at Atreyu. And at the time, they're having this back and forth, which is uh, has a uh, philosophical uh, approach to it, and the impact of the nothing, and how it's uh, sort of monologuing, basically, uh, like what its uh, intent is to do. It's kind of like it's like halfway between. A philosophical debate about good and evil, and your average Bond villain speech. Mm-hmm. It's like it's like yeah. straight in the, straight down the middle of the whole thing. Yeah, yeah it's really impressive to see uh, Gamork's commitment to the nothing, as he seems very void of any personal uh, emotional feeling towards saving Fantasia. He seems just very much of the mind to give himself completely into uh, the nothing, and whatever it chooses to do, he just he follows it like faithfully. Um, which is quite impressive when uh, we look at our politics today and how uh, people approach things. Very fascinating dynamic between the two, but that's for another yeah. another show. We can talk about that. Anyway, uh, the uh, it's fascinating story. too. Yep. Exactly. Hey, Learning good point. It. That's a good one. It's that was a good one. Baby's first nihil- nihilistic tendency is from this movie. Yes. <laughs> but seeing Atreyu uh, stand so defiantly against Gamork. Uh, when he actually identifies himself as Atreyu, the, the one that uh, Gamork has been on the uh, on the planes looking for, um, it was really uh, impressive to see him stand up for himself. He seemed to have grabbed a uh, an etched out uh, piece of stone or a shiv of some kind that he just found on the ground, and was just like, "I'm ready. Take me. Come for me. I'm ready for you. You know, like I'm ready to fight." Yeah, because I mean, yeah, at it, that it, at that point in the movie, Atreyu is feeling. So terrible at how badly he's failed because he's just gone through just a long series of failures. He lost Artax, he lost Falcor, he lost the Orin, he lost everything. The, the, he met the Rockbiter who had lost all of his friends and this, this whole thing. And he's just like, Atreyu's just like, I've failed. And now I've stumbled face to face with this giant wolf that's been sent to eat me. You know what? Screw it. Come at me. I'm go- we're going out fighting. Can I add one thing to this? Yeah. No. <laughs> uh, go ahead. <laughs> Seeing Atreo there when Gamork is about ready to jump at him, and he's like, come on, fight. Yeah. It reminded me of Randy Marsh in the South Park episode where he was the drunk guy at every baseball game. <laughs> okay. <laughs> there, he's just like, he takes his shirt and he's like, what do you want? Come on, let's go. Come on, let's go. What do you want? <laughs> I respect you, bro. But this was America. <laughs> it was quite defiant. I mean, you see so much of that, like, uh, oh, that, like, 
that uh, that trope of soy like something's more recent like Marvel characters who always have to stand up for whatever it is they're fighting against and you see that happening with uh, a lot of uh, heroic story arcs but it was really neat to see uh, Atreo just be so defiant in the moment against uh, this character and um, ultimately uh, kills him uh, with the stroke of one one strike to the heart. A very anti- just a big giant rock. A very anticlimactic rock. final fight because yes. in the real world, fights don't go on cinematically like across like the tops of trains or whatever. It's like, no, a fight usually lasts a few seconds and then someone's on the ground bleeding. I always thought there was an orchestra involved, but... It's not a whole lot of fist fights on the tops of trains because it's like it's really windy. Who want? Who would want to do this? This is terrible. <laughs> really interesting too was uh, actually how that entire scene was conceived. Uh, uh, Noah Hathaway was nearly uh, lost his vision uh, as he was yep. uh, stricken, but in the eye by the animatronic by a rogue uh, animatronic. Wolf. Yes, and ultimately uh, it did fall on him. It, he lost his breath as a result. Uh, scared crapless by the by what had happened, the this, many members of the crew had to run over and pull the the uh, the animatronic heavy uh, wolf off him. Thankfully, he survived. Yet another instance of him getting uh, nearly uh, killed on the uh, set. I'm and, just um, I'm just picturing a bunch of the interns just holding this this animatronic and just <laughs> hurling it at him, and then when it actually hits him and hurts him, they're all like, "Oh, Shiza!" and they run in and, t- and pull the thing off of him. <laughs> well, or one year later, the actor's mom is like, "Guess what? We're going to Chuck E. Cheese for your birthday." <laughs> no, 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 we are not, mom. Never no. again. I will stay in the house. I will. I will. I will so socially isolate for the rest of my life. Daddy, can I wear the jammies with the feet? Yep, pretty much. <laughs> it's like, hey, oh, you were a never-ending story, weren't you? And they just thousand-yard stare, just like, uh, hello, yes. darkness, my old friend. <laughs> I've seen things. Another notable character in the film that many uh, fans have come to love over time is, of course, Falcor, the uh, luck dragon, <clears throat> who thankfully comes to the uh, rescue of Atreyu after uh, the demise, regretfully again, of our beloved Deus Artax. Yes, yes. <laughs> thankfully he appears uh, out of the sky. I was always fascinated with the, the body type of the luck dragon. Uh, has the head of a dog, uh, the body style, in my opinion, uh, of a caterpillar, but perhaps Dan, you could tell me a little bit more about uh, Falcor. That he's a big know. furry snake dog. I mean, yeah, that's that's pretty much right. He's he's really modeled after the kind of like Chinese, the Chinese dragons. Dragon. Yeah, like they they can fly. They don't have wings. They're generally pretty serpentine, and their faces the faces of Chinese dragons tend to be very dog like. Uh, maybe mm-hmm. not quite as like. Not fluffy puppy. Not not retriever like Falcor was, but they do tend to be very very dog like. Hmm. And he's got a mix on him of uh, fur and scales. Yep. Yeah, I was fascinated just seeing uh, the different, uh, just the detail that actually went into the dragons because towards the uh, uh, the neck nearing uh, his his head, he has his he's. Um, I don't know, like this pearl-like color. I don't know what it was. It's it was the, supposed to be like a, a skin or some kind. It's the, or scales. I don't know the... it's the scales. They're like luminescent yeah. scales, like fish scales. You know how they get that kind of like rainbow uh, okay. sheen to them? Interesting. Pearlescent. Pearlescent. There you go. 
Hmm, very interesting. Uh, Jocelyn, did you have anything else to add about Falcor that we don't know? Um, not really. Um, yeah, he's pretty self-explanatory. He's um, just lucky that he's there. Ah. Yeah, he's a luck dragon. Um, honestly, as of watching this again, it reminded me a lot of um, Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy. The probability... Uh, yep. The probability drive. Yeah, the probability drive. Isn't That's what Falcor is. He's the, the, the engine that carries the, the whole thing. That's pretty, yeah, I like that. That, yeah. and he shows up when he's needed, when the probability of being saved is like zero. Mm -hmm. That's when he shows up. Because he's lucky. I was more... Right, but I was more fascinated by the fact that he just miraculously does peer out of the sky. And sure, we can go back to the fact that he, he's a luck dragging, therefore luck. But just his uh, ability, just at that given moment when um, Trey would just lost, uh, like is dealing with the death, the horse and uh, Gomork is just, just, I, don't know, I would say like matter of feet away from him from attacking and just like totally annihilating him without expecting uh, the attack. And uh, the you know, thankfully. Uh, he just he swoops in and saves him at the, the right time and uh, carries him uh, well over nine thousand miles uh, from his destination to uh, which of the the total what ten to get to the uh, the uh, the other side of Fantasia. Well, I could dive into like a f the fate theory, which is you've had these um, these paintings of him and of Atreyu and everything up for a while that. They didn't really see or know about, so. And Falcor was uh, was in the murals, so yeah. It's so like he was he, he was, was sort of fated to be there. Yeah. Mm, okay. It's kind of like I said, prophecy. Mm-hmm. And you know, again, and I'm just I'm gonna just like harp on it completely. It's you know just lucky that he was there. Luckily, he got there. Yes. Because you know sometimes in the story the heroes just show up at the right time. You know that that's that's one of the that's one of the great things about real fantasy is because in the real world it doesn't always happen that way, but in a story, people show up just in time, or exactly when they're needed. You know. Very true, and thankfully, uh, Falcor is able to again grab Atreyu and they carries him as far as he's able to. We're then introduced uh, in the following scene once they arrive uh, near their closest destination uh, to Eugenwalk and uh, Grenel? Uh, Angawuk and Urgle. Urgle, thank you. Yeah, two, uh, uh, two gnomes two. that are a married couple. I love these two. Yep. Mm -hmm. Angawuk is the uh, leading scientific expert on the Southern Oracle. Uh, and he has never been to the Southern Oracle because the two gates that lead up to it basically kill everyone who comes across them. Yes. It's not the eyes that kill them, I'll tell you that. <laughs> I mean, <laughs> it's I, the I, laser beams. Mm. It's I, very pointed. I think I liked his, uh, his implication a little better than the laser beams. It's the boobs. Yeah. They're distracted by yeah. boobs. I can think of worse ways to go. I mean, yeah. what is more impressionable than golden boobs with uh, piercing tits, you know, I mean, and nipples? I mean, you can't... Seriously, I mean, honestly, I mean, if I... Uh, you, you put me through uh, this maze, and I have to look past these things, and it's like a matter of, well, just keep walking, Bob. It's like, well, wait, hold on. 
Wait, hold on. Okay, hold on. You did. Uh, oh, and then before I know it, I'm already dead anyway. Exactly, Cass, yeah. So. <laughs> yep. But thankfully, uh, our, our faithful Atreyu is uh, confident enough, uh, seeing it, the, the Dark Knight attempt to uh, make his way through uh, and is lasered to death. Uh, unfortunately, uh, we're given that speech by Eugene Walk, who explains that only the, the true of heart uh, can make it through as these uh, these oracles are able to see through all the uh, the armor, and they see directly into uh, the person's heart. Yeah, what he so says, Trey, he can, you, uh, fancy armor won't do you any good. He's also talking about the emotional armor that people put up, like the walls that they put up around themselves. The, the uh, was it the the gate can see through that too and see if you don't feel like you're actually worthy because it's less about the uh, gate deciding you're worthy than you understanding your actual worth mm-hmm. and that's where the real kicker comes in like if you don't truly believe in yourself they're gonna see it and they're gonna laser you in the face damn that stinks yeah, let's let's be fair. I'd probably be lasered in half a heartbeat. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm not, I yeah. think most of us would too. Yeah. I don't think Kaz would. She would make it through it. She'd just what? You'd just be like you'd just be like straight on walking through. That, that's my opinion. Just I walk think through. It's like take it for what it's worth, but just walk through, humming, oh, walking on sunshine. Yeah, I would just be struck down really quickly. I'd be the first one dead. I know that much. So. Way to go, me. <laughs> anyway, uh, dear, our dear Treyu uh, is able to make it through, uh, staring up blankly uh, at these oracles, uh, immersed by their power and their their, uh, their size. Their and I won't power. go beyond. I'll just leave it at that. <laughs> uh, unfortunately, he does happen to look down at the night, and uh, this amazing wind just happens to blow through at the right moment and uh, opens up the uh, the shield of the the knight's. Uh, headdress and he sees a uh, blackened face of course as uh, it was uh, lasered to death. Yeah, sees just how and, fried uh, the night became and he starts to starts to doubt his own purpose. Yes. See, just like Chino. exactly what Chino just did. Yeah, what's the matter, buddy? Were you hearing people outside now you're freaking out? Is that what's going on? Hush you, it's fine. Yeah, we've had, we've got him sitting on one of the chairs next to Joss right now because he was being kind of fussy before. Hmm. All right. So, so, so he, dear Atreyu, of course, as I said, oh, so if you'd like to continue, Dan, my apologies. Go ahead. Uh, so, yeah, so he makes it past the first gate. All right, so he makes it past the and first gate. And there's the mirror. The mirror. Yes, the dreaded mirror, the mirror that sees into you. This is the uh, the next stage of uh, the magic mirror. Atreyu's, yes, uh, he has to walk across this snowy plain. Uh, in his very uh, skimpy clothing, and uh, come across this mirror, this mirror which will see directly into you. It'll show you uh, the truth of you. If you believe you are, as uh, Eugene Walk said, uh, a kind person, you'll see yourself as a cruel, the cruelty of yourself. If you are somebody who receives yourself as a, a brave, uh, Im- immense, incredible person, you'll see that the coward in you. Uh, so it really shows this, the true essence of who you are. And uh, for Atreyu, he has to. Uh, this is uh, a very, uh, Im- very important challenge to him. He, he has to be able to make his way beyond this because his quest is to make it to uh, the end of Fantasia. Uh, so thankfully, he does look into the mirror, and it's really fascinating to see 
he sees looking back at him none other than Bastion. Bastion, of course, is sitting in his school's attic uh, reading the book. And uh, throughout the, the film has these interactions with the characters in the story who they don't acknowledge him directly as Bastion, but they acknowledge the fact that they are hearing something outside of the realms of Fantasia. Uh, there were several instances uh, throughout the film <clears throat> with, excuse me, where this occurred, uh, the first of which was uh, the interaction with uh, Morla, the, uh, the ancient turtle, mm -hmm. uh, at which point we see uh, Bastion scream. Now, this scream came from a, a scene that wasn't able to be filmed due to the limitation of special effects, uh, and it went... Uh, and it would have been badass. The, the, yes. It would have been... Sorry, can you repeat that? I heard a, It would have been straight-up badass. Like, it's a giant spider. Oh, yeah. Giant yes. spider made up of evil demon wasps. Yes, much agreed. No, and, and for the scene that was uh, wasn't able to be shown, it was the initial appearance of the first appearance of Falcor, and uh, where Atreyu rescues him uh, from Y or Gramul. I'm probably butchering that. I apologize. It's spelled Y G R A M U L. Uh, the many. Uh, this is a swarm of poisonous wasps. Uh, that take the form of a giant spider. And this was, of course, where Bastion screams, being heard by the characters in the book, uh, where, where this should have taken place, but it was uh, uh, then used instead for, uh, after a seemingly a, the, the first appearance of Morla, uh, with his rearing his really incredibly special effect head popping out. And I was very impressed with the, their ability to, what, one, make him look like a turtle, but like also a fantasy turtle, that's uh, very fascinating to see, but also scary at the same time, and uh, the effects of his eyes when he sneezed. So, uh, yeah, I could see why Bastion screamed, because if you're a kid and you saw a turtle looking like that, yeah, I'd be, I'd be weirded out. So I feel like it was a fair response to him. Yep. I mean, if you saw that coming right at, coming right at your face like uh, Atreyu did, yeah, you'd have a bit of an issue. Yeah. So yeah, sure. that's that's the first instance of them being able to like, not so much interact, but there's there's connection between Bastion and the book, and yes. um, when Atreyu sees Bastion as the reflection, he's confused. Bastion's confused. Bastion takes the book and just yeets it across the room, because yes. mm -hmm. what is this nonsense? This book is haunted. Oh my god! He's like, nope. Like, nope, nope. Thank you and goodbye. But he, yeah, it was quite quite a sight to be seen. But go ahead, Dan. Sorry. Yeah. But he does he does kind of come to his senses. He comes back to himself, and he's like, "It's just a story." Calm down. Picks up the book and continues reading. And at this point, there's a massive storm going on outside the uh, the school, and mm -hmm. it's late at night. He's just stayed at the school. I'm sure his father. I'd like to think his father's freaking out at this point. I doubt it. Oh, his father's in the hospital. For, eat, for, for drinking raw eggs and orange juice. <laughs> you drank raw eggs and orange juice. Oh. <laughs> I'd like to point out to the audience uh, that the, the parent is actually nowhere to be seen beyond the, uh, the very oh, yeah, start the very of the first film, scene, which, and then he flees the movie. Yeah. We never see from the dad. We don't know if he gives a shit that his son has uh, uh, stored himself away in his school's attic uh, for seemingly the night, uh, reading a book. We don't see from any of his teachers to care or anything that. This always fascinated me. I mean, we see so many films today uh, where the characters, all the characters are seemingly caring about, if it's a child, the, the parents care. And you see a scene of some kind where, well, the parents are like, where is my child? And there's something that obviously happens. In this film, we don't see the dad. 
the dad is no more. He doesn't exist. It's like he's at the very start of the film, and then he's gone. Well, I thought about this, actually, a little bit more from the last time we spoke. Um, I want to add in that it's the 80s, and I don't know about you guys, but I grew up as a latchkey kid. I'm pretty sure Bastion is, too. Yeah, like, my parents were always working, so I'd come home from yeah, school, was. be like eight or nine years old, come home, nobody's home, yeah, unlock the door, make myself a peanut butter sandwich, do my homework, and, and then five o'clock, my mom comes home. Hmm. So, it wouldn't be that big of a stretch um, for the absentee parent. And, you know, like I said earlier uh, when we spoke, um, his dad is also going through a loss and everybody grieves differently. And his dad seems to have uh, compartmentalized everything. Yeah, he kind of shut down. Everything's like all the grief is over there and we need to keep our feet on the ground. We need to get the old job done. We need to drink raw eggs. <laughs> right, if you drank raw eggs and orange juice, you'd shut down too. Yeah. <laughs> He's got parasites. Seriously. They're in his brain. See, that was, the, that was the thing, even as a kid, that's the thing that bothered me about that movie. I'm like, oh. why is he doing that? I just thought it was weird. Like, what are you doing? This is disgusting. And then it made well, me it question came... orange juice. Yeah. Well, the raw eggs came from Rocky. Yeah. I suppose, yeah. And even, even Sylvester Stallone said in a number of interviews, like, don't do this. This is a bad I idea. Don't, don't do it. No, it's... Well, they used... It's, well, in the disgusting. 80s, they used raw, ge- raw eggs in a lot of things. Um, like the, uh, the alcoholic drink, a red eye, which is essentially um, uh, vodka... Um, tomato juice, like a Bloody Mary, except mm. you add a raw egg. And stir it with Ooh. celery. You <laughs> don't stir it. Ooh. You just, yeah, you if don't stir it. If it was mixed it, in with it, I could it? almost no. get it. Like the orange juice, I almost understand because he blends it, so it's all kind of uniform. Yeah, no. but, ugh, you make that, You make a Bloody Mary, ugh. and then when it's done, you crack an egg into it, and the yolk falls to the bottom. And you drink it, and then when you're done, you swallow the you egg. Die. And you die. Yes. I mean, is that like eating the worm out of a tequila bottle? I'm guessing, except you don't get the fun trip. It's like the old Larry the Cable Guy joke. That when he he had a weird dream where he drank the world's largest margarita. <laughs> and then he woke up and there was salt all over the toilet. Oh. <laughs> ah. I want the world's biggest margarita. <laughs> that actually sounds pretty good right well, now. We, right? We ordered from Casa de Margarita yesterday, but uh, sadly they don't deliver alcohol. Damn. I can't drink yeah. alcohol anymore. Yeah. Uh, For what it's worth, uh, it's pretty good Mexican food. Casa de Margarita. Yeah. It's, in, it's in Bristol. <laughs> not a sponsor. Nope, not, nope a sponsor. not a sponsor. Not a sponsor, just it was, it was a good dinner. <laughs> All right, Bob. Where are we, man? So we're again uh, uh, back with uh, Atreyu, who is making his way across. Uh, he then re-encounters, actually, sorry, he again encounters uh, the oracles, uh, the ones of which who 
actually have the information he needs. Now this time these oracles, sorry, the uh, southern oracles, they're, uh, they're, they're shimmering in a fascinating blue color. Uh, yep. These oracles actually have the, uh, the answers to Atreyu who, who has made his way all the way to them. Now Atreyu has made his way this far because uh, he intended to seek the information from Morla, our a good friend from earlier, the ancient uh, turtle. Uh, who then sent him on his way towards the Southern Oracle, who do in fact have the uh, the knowledge he seeks. Uh, the question, of course, he's asking, how do I see Fantasia? What do I do? And of course, the uh, the Oracles and their uh, glistening boobies, uh, they uh, respond to him in such an eloquent uh, du dual-speaking uh, way of uh, letting him know that he must name the childlike Empress. And he's like, Th just a name? That's, That's it? all I have to do is a name? That's it? He's like, I could name her anything I want. And they're like, the, Yeah, no. not you. You need a yeah. human child to do it. It's like, okay, yes. where do I find one of those? All right. It's like he's at <laughs> the edge of Fantasia. It's like, well, shit. Okay. Uh, I need to find the edge of going. Fantasia. <laughs> and then the Southern Oracle starts to crumble because all of its power had been devoted to keeping the nothing at bay. And now that it is given the information it needed to give to the hero, it finally was able to just kind of give in, and the statues are crumbling, and they say, there is not much time, you need to go, need beyond, to go. go beyond the boundaries of Fantasia, find a human child, and and Atreus just like, oh, oh shit, I gots to go. Falcor, yeah. Falcor, we gotta go! Yeah. This sets up a really great scene where we see... Uh, uh, a good uh, entirety of Fantasia, the, the numerous lands of uh, it, as uh, we see Atreyu on top of Falcor, and they're seemingly going across the uh, different seasons of Fantasia, mm -hmm. from the, the dry lands to the, the waters. Uh, we arrive, oddly enough, uh, as, we, as seemingly as uh, Atreyu is uh, getting closer with Falcor, which to what we believe is the, the boundary, the nothing, uh, regretfully uh, catches up, and it causes uh, quite a uh, fuss. Now, it's at this point there was a scene, of course, not filmed due to uh, special effects limitation for its time, uh, in which uh, Atreyu and Falcor, they encounter the wind giants. Now, the, the wind giants are, are giant creatures who are made of clouds, and being caught, uh, they end up trying, they're, they're somehow caught in this fight between them, but uh, in the film it was re-edited, uh, this close encounter uh, with the nothing before Atreyu ultimately falls into the sea, and this is where we see... Uh, uh, recovering Atreyu, uh, get up, uh, seeking out uh, Falcor, who is nowhere to be found. He screams, Falcor! Falcor! Just looking looking through the sky and just hoping you'll be able to look up and see him. And of course, we have Falcor also uh, in the process of looking for Atreyu, screaming uh, for each other's names, and they're of course not able to. Uh, it's at this point the Orin of which uh, Atreyu has been uh, had with him uh, for most of this time has become lost, and uh, it's lost at the, uh, the bottom of the sea. Uh, so, uh, our, our Treyu has to now uh, make his uh, passage uh, forward and reluctantly encounters uh, the Rock Chewer, as he's known in the book, but a rock, rock Biter, as he's referred to in the film. Uh, and uh, we were introduced earlier in the film, actually at the, the very beginning of the film, of course, to Rock Biter, who uh, nearly uh, runs over Teeny Weenie and uh, the, uh, the Bat. And is it, it's the, say, please remind me the, of the other the guy. Night the Night Hob. Thank you. The Night Hob. And uh, thankfully he does stop because he does see them. 
but this is where they all realize they're on the same quest of uh, meeting uh, the childlike empress to get more information on how to save their lands because they are, of course, uh, recruited by their uh, their leaders of that we're not really actually identified, but I, the, I took the, took away the impression that they were uh, given the uh, the go ahead like you represent us, go ahead and uh, go to the childlike empress and get more information and come back and let us know what's going on type thing. But of course, in the process of this happening, as they're gathering, the nothing is really hurried up right behind them, practically on their tails, and uh, they are forced to quickly move ahead, uh, speeding back up to where we were with uh, Treyu, who's uh, introduced, of course, to Rockbiter yep. uh, near the end of the film. Um, uh, now, Dan, you had a really great story. If you could uh, tell us uh, the meaning behind uh, the Rockbiter's uh, tale. The, rock, uh, the, rock the, the, of his hand. the Rockbiter's Lament, basically, yes. Mm-hmm. Um, a lot of people remember this movie for Artax drowning in the swamp, and as a kid, yes, that is devastating it destroyed me as a kid but as i've gotten older and watched this movie you know uh, again not as much as i did as a kid but watched it again this scene is what's really gotten me uh the rock biter is all that's left of him and his friends he's sitting depressed in the cracked remnants of what looks like a courtyard to a castle somewhere. I assume it's near the uh, the ivory tower, but doesn't really say. Mm-hmm. And he is just broken. Like He sees Atreyu, and he just says to him, you know, shows him his hands. He says, they look like big, strong hands, don't they? And he explains that when the nothing approached... It pulled his friends from him, no matter how hard he tried to hang on to them, to keep them here. The nothing took them and left him, because he wasn't strong enough to stop it. Now, the Rockbiter and his lament here isn't... its He's in this as a, like, what happens when you give up sort of thing. But... To me, this this part is what gets to me because I have, I've always had the like one of my biggest fears is failing people who are depending on me, and this whole this whole bit this like the rock biter saying you know I thought I could hold on to them I tried but they were pulled away that gets to me because that's the exact feeling I get if I can't you know. Uh, I don't know, follow-up's not the word. If I can't, like, be true to my word over something, mm-hmm. that, it, it, it gets to me. Through. There you go. Don't plan the plan if you can't follow through. Yeah. Gotcha. So I just had a, uh, um, Dr. Horrible moment, but don't mind me. All right, so yeah, that's... Oh, very good, man. Yeah, that's the, that's the grown-up part of me, which, let's, let's be honest, I did not agree to this adulting thing, but it seems to have happened. And that's that's the part of this movie that gets me now. Like, it, I get goosebumps and I get like, I get like teary-eyed over stuff like that because it's like, I just picture what would happen if I were to completely fail and someone was hurt or I lost someone because of something that I did or didn't do, and wow. it hurts, you know. Well, thank you very much for that, Dan. Mm-hmm. That was um, I really appreciate that. Is anyone else having it? Their interpretation, or would like to expand and describe any other scenes that that had that similar impact to them. No, no, not really. 
be it emotional or not emotional. Uh, Nick, you had your own personal interpretation, if I recall. Would you like to describe it? I thought Rockbiter's Lament was a really good stoner joke. <laughs> they, yeah. These are two strong hands. You know, aren't they? they call them fingers, man, but you never see them fing. <laughs> oh, wait, there they go. Huge. <laughs> So I, I really enjoyed this part of the film. Thank you very much for that, Nick, for that uh, very interesting point of view. <laughs> uh, so hey, 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 hey. When this said, all gets back together, we're going to have Jerry Garcia ice cream. Yeah. Jerry yeah. Garcia. Yeah. Jerry Garcia. Oh, See, man. That, that, that perked Jossie's ears right up. Like, what? Jerry Garcia? What? It's my favorite. Yeah. <laughs> Me too. I'm with, I'm with you, Jocelyn. That, that's one of my favorites too. <laughs> I, used I love to, that ice cream. I used to really like Chunky Monkey, but I've kind of, kind of got off of that one lately. It's a good one too. Oh, it's full cherries in it. I see. My my favorite is one they don't do anymore. It had uh, white chocolate covered pop rocks in it. So when the chocolate melted, the ice cream was like popping in your face. Jesus. Because wow. Ben and Jerry, Ben and Jerry are madmen. Yes, straight up. I remember seeing a news piece uh, about uh, their company. I, w I don't want to get too sidetracked, but it was really interesting to see they have uh, actually a, a grave a grave site set up. Uh, I guess where the uh, I guess where Ben and Jerry started making the ice cream, and in the backyard they have a series of gravestones of uh, numerous ice cream that have since uh, gone away or deceased. And uh, I just really like the. I don't, it's just really nice to see that they're able to uh, find a way to have peace with the fact that they no longer have it, but allow people to uh, who are passing through and uh, want to go through uh, this factory and see how the ice cream is made. They can make their way into this, like uh, I guess, back the back of their uh, facility and see all the numerous ice cream that is since uh, no, no longer made. Basically, is what I'm trying to say, and just be able to take the opportunity to reflect on. Hey, I remember that ice cream. Well, I, I need that to, ice cream. So I need <laughs> to go pretty... pay my respects to Kaberi Kaboom then. <laughs> Nice. Oh man, ice cream. Oh, I miss it so and much. Snafu was a really good one too. Yeah, I think if Bastian had opted to have ice cream uh, while reading his book, he would have had just uh, uh, like a just water or milk by the end. So, because for for a kid to read uh, the entirety of the book, which is a gigantic, uh, a gigantic novel, I don't think he would have made it. Yeah, see, now I have I to give I give him credit. Oh, go ahead. Sorry. I say I admit I'm not the fastest reader in the world. But a kid reading a full book in a day blows my mind. And yeah. Joss is over here. She read three novels in a night because she's a mutant. I don't sleep at night. So I read a lot. So, yes, I can get through three books in a night easily. That's upsetting. <laughs> like, I don't know how you retain anything. I retain everything except everybody's names. Because I'm really bad and at just names. the guy with the hair. That guy with the hair. I'll remember the dog's name. Yep. Well, I mean, that's the important bit. Yeah. That's about it. Nick and Kaz, have you guys been reading any books uh, during this uh, interesting time in our lives? Um, I read the internet. The internet? I've been, that's a great one. Yep. Yeah. I've been reading, actually, a book written by a friend of the show, Evan Carmichael. Uh, reading. I think you cut out a little bit there. Reading. Oh, sorry. I was built to serve. 
Okay. Oh, okay. That's has okay. been really good. I'll have to look into that, see what it see what it's about. Yeah. Alright, so um, Yeah, so yeah, back so, to the Now we're up to the Ivy yes. Tower, right? Yeah, so Here we after are. after the Rockbiter, he has his encounter with Gamork, which we spoke about before. And after Gamork is killed, the nothing arrives and everything goes to hell. But there's been little side scenes during the lead up to the Gamork and talking to the Rockbiter where Falcor luckily finds the Orin on the ocean floor. Uh, so yeah, so he luckily finds the Orin on the ocean floor and at this point, again, very luckily, finds Atreyu before the nothing completely annihilates everything. So scene goes black, we come back up, Atreyu is on Falcor's back, flying through nothing. The destroyed remains of Fantasia. They're basically the only two left, and Atreyu is about as despairing as he has been at any point in this film. He is just destroyed by all of this. And and with basically his last bit of, I guess you could say, faith... He makes a wish with the Orin. If the ivory tower still stands, take us there. And then, luckily, right around the next chunk of Fantasia, they see the ivory tower still mostly intact. The chunk of land that it was on did not get utterly annihilated. So, they... Thankfully. Yep. They land on... Yeah. Hmm? Oh, no, I was going to pick it up if you'd like me to pick sure, it up. go for it. Yeah, so uh, then we we encounter, of course, the childlike empress inside the uh, the ivory tower, where we're, uh, the, we have the very special uh, sequence between uh, Atreyu explaining uh, how he feels he's failed, and uh, the childlike empress is uh, she's very kind to Atreyu, explaining, "No, you haven't failed. Uh, he's actually been with you the whole time." And Atreyu is just very uh, taken back by and it. And Atreyu what is do you mean? dead confused. Do you mean? Yes, completely. As anybody, <laughs> if you are a story, a character in a, in a uh, book, and you're like, well, wait, it's just been me, like, the whole time. So how is it there's somebody else out there that's been uh, with me this whole time? And uh, thankfully, uh, Bastion, who's also reading, we get this, uh, this scene with him going, it's me? How do they know it's, you know, uh, like, how is it me? Like, no. How? how do they know? No way, man. And that's when you know? this scene yeah. becomes very meta. Yeah, that's where the whole movie kind of kind of goes real meta, and the characters practically turn to the camera and go, huh? <laughs> because, Get it? Yeah, she, because the childlike empress explains that just as Bastion has been following Atreyu's story, other people have been following his. They were with him when he hid from the bullies in the bookstore. They were with him when he stole the book. And it's at this point just like that fourth wall just kind of comes straight down and the childlike empress looks at us and goes, do you get it? Do you get it? <laughs> I have to say, I really like that those those few sequences we had throughout the film when we were actually brought into it. Uh, like The first one I mentioned was... Uh, when Atreyu was trying to uh, pull Artax out of the, the water and he looks directly at us. And this was another excellent one where the childlike Empress is looking straight ass at, at, at us saying, it, you know, it's it's Bastion. <laughs> Bastion, save us. But it's weird, like, 
she's looking at us as she's saying Bastion. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Uh, and it's it's and as you were saying, it was meta because it's like Bastion is the one reading the book. Therefore, clearly, the, the, these story characters are looking to Bastion as uh, their savior, their person of hope. But at the same time, she she also makes this nice little note that. There's also people who are following Bastion as he's reading this book too, which is a, a really nice nod to us, the uh, the viewer, and even uh, you know prior to the film being made, uh, the, the the reader of the book. And it's nice that the Michael End has found a way just to keep all of us, not just the the, the characters who are actually in the book, not just uh, Bastion who is reading the book, but us, us the the the, the film watcher, us the uh, the book reader, um, to bring us all like into this um, this uh, this story and it's really it's really neat just to know that you're you're part of something special yeah you know? and that that whole meta bit to it like I I knew of it but it didn't really click with me and like it 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 hit Joss like for like the first time that watching it yeah. this time and like the impact of it actually hit me seeing it hit her is like well shit yeah that did get real meta didn't it yep yeah yeah, and it's at that point where, where uh, Bastion finally uh, nuts up, if I may say nuts up, uh, quoting Zombieland, one of my favorite lines. Uh, he he uh, he's like, but I have to be. He's like, I have to. I have, I have to, to stop keep, dreaming. I have to keep my feet on the ground. Right, right. And uh, the the call of the childlike Empress is just like Bastion, save, save us, man. It's like, it's, like, it's like, Bastion, come on, your dad drinks eggs. He makes bad decisions. Don't listen to him. <laughs> You're learning to say your name. <laughs> and it's at this point, of course, uh, our brave Bastion finally goes, All right, I'll do it. And he, he jumps up uh, in the middle of this like immersive storm that's happening around his school. He throws open the windows and... Of course, we see yelling as the subtitle, so my impression was, no, it's yelling, yelling, but it's not yelling. Exactly. Ah. <laughs> he, he, he actually says, and let, can we all say it together? Are you ready? One, two, three. Moonchild! Sorry, I, I was a second behind. <laughs> oh, oh, ooh, ouch. <laughs> and then the screen and, uh, goes black. Yes. Yeah, the screen goes black again, and when it lights back up, Lit by a single grain of sand in Bastion's palm, and the childlike no, empress. No, it's the childlike emperor, empress palm. First. All right, because yeah, she gives it to Bastion. Yeah. But yeah, it's just a tiny grain of sand is all that's left, and in the kindest way possible, she basically says, "This is all that's left because you took your sweet time, kid." <laughs> I mean, come on. <laughs> she does it in the nicest way possible, but it is basically what she says. <laughs> and it's of course at this point that uh, Bastion realizes he can make it as many wishes as he wants as he's speaking to the uh, now named uh, Moonchild, childlike Empress, uh, and whispers into her ear what his uh, first wish would be. We're then of course reintroduced to our beloved Falcor, who carries Yay! Bastion across the uh, the plains or the uh, the mythical land of Fantasia. Who uh, Bastion uh, screams to Falcor, "It's wonderful! It's wonderful!" It's and like how... the nothing never was. Peter, Peter, buddy, you're you're kind of heavy. Oh, oh, we're going down. Oh no! Crash! Yeah! Yeah! yeah. 
just a note to our listener, we're also referencing Family Guy yeah, in the middle I, of this. I've been doing not, that all week. to confuse that. I've yeah. been doing that all week. Yeah. <laughs> it was a nice little clip of it online, or if you can find the episode, please check it out. You'll, If you uh, like this movie, you'll definitely like that sequence. Uh, all you have to look up is, look up Never Ending Griffin. <laughs> it's the first thing that pops up on YouTube. P. So Tier Griffin. Ah, crap. <laughs> Right, Peter Griffin. <laughs> so, of course, it's at this point that uh, Bastion uh, returns to uh, Canada. With his second uh, wish. <laughs> uh, which is to basically uh, go after the uh, bullies who are uh, going after him at the uh, very beginning of the film. Now, it was really interesting. I was reading some uh, tidbits. Uh, the bullies don't actually throw him into the uh, giant trash. No, he jumps uh, into a toaster. He actually pushes himself into it because yeah. I guess these bullies weren't strong enough to actually throw him up and over. Hmm. So it was quite nice yeah. for himself to actually make the scene look more effective by doing it himself. So way, way to go, uh, Barrett Oliver, for doing such a good job doing that. But it's so nice to see him uh, finally get his, uh, his come up and, uh, with his uh, friendly uh, bullies who... Uh, uh, he, and like the... the dumpster with hay in it. No, see, yeah. is it uh, maybe that's a Canadian thing. I don't know. <laughs> And like the oh, horses hey. everywhere. Yeah, and the the main bully, like the middle one, tell like he seems like a dollar store chunk, doesn't he? Yeah. He seems like chunk yeah. from the Goonies, but like the slightly yeah. off brand version. He's like the one you'd get at Family Dollar. He's the store brand. Yeah. He's he's, the, he's great value a chunk. Great store value. chunk. <laughs> Uh, so yeah, with that he gets back at his bu- at his bullies, and then an incongruous narrator comes right the fuck out of nowhere, and says, yes. "And he made many more wishes and had many more adventures." But that he did mention that yes. he chased the bullies on a freaking dragon. Yes. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, he brought Falcor along with him and just scared the living crap out of everyone on that street in Vancouver. Mm-hmm. Like, he, like Falcor probably became one of their cryptids after that. Is my guess. <laughs> it's the snake dog dragon thing. Oh, God. Of, of, Vancouver, of, of Vancouver, Vinny. You know what? I like it. I, have to, I mean, I, I know that a lot of the, the effect, well, actually all the effects were shot in Germany, but I was really fascinated with that the particular, I don't know, that portion that they chose for in Canada because the architecture, it really did have like uh, something you would see. I feel like there was something Germanesque to it. And I, I don't know if that you could take that as my opinion, but I was really, I really, I went back and just looked at the uh, the, the how the scene looked because um, as we watch older films, it's always nice to consider uh, where we've, uh, how far we've come, and how how much we've changed, and seeing like the cars that that fill a street. How did a street actually look like? What was the the style of the lamppost? What did the what was the architecture behind the building? And there was something very, I don't know, it's, there was something very Germanesque about it. And, uh, and take that you can take that for what it's worth it was my opinion but it just really I really enjoyed looking at it I'm like wow this it's really clean <laughs> and I look at where, where we've grown up and I guess maybe it was cleaner when we were younger and you're welcome to challenge me on that but I look at it now and go man well Canada's very very clean um oh yeah you have a lot of laws against littering and everything else you could eat off their sidewalks yeah. And, yeah, um, I was in Toronto about six months ago. Yeah. And, like, it's like New York City, but 30 years in the future. Mm. Damn. Mm. 
and I was walking down the street with a friend of mine, and I'm like I'm finishing up a bottle of water, and I, I almost threw it away in the trash, but like everywhere where there's a trash, like right next to it's a recycle, mm-hmm. and I'm like, oh my god, I think I almost committed a felony in Canada. <laughs> So, uh, yeah, Bob, you're saying you're not sure if, like, the architecture has felt, like, a little bit German. I can't pretend that I know much about the history of Vancouver. Uh, But if any listeners do know this kind of information, we have a fan server now on Discord. Uh, There's a sticky post on our Facebook page. You can come in there and you can set us straight. Um, I will probably set up a, 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 a room that's just a... We uh, we goofed. Did we get it right? What's that? Like, did we get it right? Right. Yeah. Did did we get this right, or uh, or like Dan was right, comma damn it, or something to that effect? (laughs) Yeah, we we'll figure something out there. And we do want to thank friend of the show Brian, who posted a ton of memes in the room. Yes, thank you, Brian. That is exactly what that room is for. Really appreciated. Especially Bill Cosby giving Harvey pudding. Oh yeah, you gotta <laughs> love my pudding, Harvey. It's Jello's. Jello. Yeah, Jello's. Great. Ew. <laughs> now I personally like the Sasquatch as a social distance cha- uh, social distancing champion for the last like hundred years. That was good. That was really good. All right, so, uh, so, and so with that, folks, that movie. is the uh, conclusion of our film. Uh, turning now to fantasy casting, what do you guys? Uh, Why don't we just like take a quick for? break first? Okay, and then we'll get into that if we don't mind. Yeah. All right. Hey everybody, thanks so much for listening. Movie Theater Time Machine is a part of the 4041 Media Group with podcasts like Psych Your Crime and Free Your Geek, which you can check out at 4041media.com. That's all squished together in one word, and the numbers are written as numbers. Now it's time to tell us what you think. If you got an opinion or wanted to know what's coming up next, find us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram by searching for Movie Theater Time Machine. Now our podcast will always be free. Free? To subscribe and share. But if you'd like to help us build a bigger, better podcast, not to mention our confidence, you can find merchandise designed by me, Kaz, at Zazzle. Or check out the Kaz Foxen's Animal Shop at Zazzle for cute animal gifts and pet supplies. Now lastly, we have our Patreon. It's patreon.com slash mttm. As we said, it's always free to subscribe and share. However, anything you can donate would certainly be appreciated. Thanks so much and back to the show. And now, guys, we are on to fantasy casting. Now, Nick, you had some interesting ideas for uh, who you'd like to replace in the film. So why don't you go ahead and give us your first one. Okay. The dice are ready to go. Okay. So this one is two rolls in one. Ingewalk and Urgle would put Peter Boyle and Doris Roberts. Nice. Okay, I can see it. Let's see. It's the grandparents from Everybody Loves Raymond. Yep. Uh, the dice like that one. That is a 34. Holy shit, wow. Yep. Wow. Okay, nice. so... I'd, th- I'd like to go next, if possible. Okay. Okay. like to, for Rockbiter, uh, replacing uh, whoever did his voice, I'd like to do uh, Seth, have uh, Seth Rogen uh, take over as the voice of Rockbiter. I mean, which could work. So, let's see. Uh, that's a 22. That, that worked, wow. too. Nice. The dice are liking it. All right. 
All right, now for so he'd have do. he'd have really big hands. Yeah. <laughs> now see, for, I feel like these are really big hands, aren't they? Yeah. Yes. <laughs> I, have, I must give. I have to give Nick credit for that hey, one because that, he was my inspiration for that one. Nick was my inspiration, so well, thank you, Nick. It is far twenty. I mean, it makes and sense. Making a stoner joke mm-hmm. for just, the rock biter. It's just fitting. It makes very much sense. <laughs> it's four twenty in the fourth month of twenty twenty, so it's four twenty all Whoa. around. Yep. Whoa. That's like a fourth wall break inside a fourth wall break. That's mm-hmm. like sixteen walls. <laughs> fucking cheap, man. Uh, see, yeah. As for fantasy casting, for me, I'm gonna stick with uh, with what I've said before. This movie is to me. This movie is perfect, and I really can't think of anyone that I would want to have uh, replace anyone in this movie. Because if you put someone super famous in it. It's less about the movie and the story and more about the actual famous person. Like, you go see a movie, like, say, in the 80s. You went to see an Arnold Schwarzenegger movie. It wasn't about the movie. It was right. about Arnold doing one-liners. You know, it's right. that kind right. of deal. So, yeah, stick around or I'll be back. You know, that whole thing. Right. You're just waiting for the catchphrase. So I think this right. movie works perfectly as is, and I'm cool with it staying the way it is. Okay. okay. I, I respect that. Justin. I agree, but I got... I'm sorry, I think you cut out there. You said, I agree, oh, but... sorry. Yep. I agree, but I got so many funny ones. Go for it. Well, yeah, I mean... What you okay. got? All right. So, for the Empress... Yep. I say Danny DeVito. <laughs> <laughs> I Just... hate that I can find f- no fault in your logic. <laughs> I find a grain of sand. That's all we have left. Can I offer you a nice grain of sand in this trying time? Dang. Uh, That is a... Wait. uh, 31. 31. Numbers are hard. (laughs) Yep, so that works. This movie is changing drastically. Give me a fucking name. (laughs) (laughs) Penguin. See? (laughs) Yeah, which Danny DeVito is it? Aren't they all pretty much oh, the same? Uh, well, there's spewing really black sh- crap uh, from his mouth. Uh, penguin. And yeah. Oh, he was acting uh, there? Okay. Frank Reynolds. <laughs> <laughs> Frank Reynolds, that would be great. <laughs> Alright, Joss, you got any? No. Give me a name. I got a toe knife. <laughs> that was a toe spoon. They changed it to a spoon. The gang saves Fantasia. (laughs) (laughs) Alright. Fantasia's doomed. Yeah. (laughs) What else you got, Nick? Oh, I'll go with me? Okay. You had one for uh, Patron Saint of uh, uh, Movie Theater Patron Time Machine, right? Patron Saint of 4041 Media, yes. Christopher Walken, uh, would, be the, would be a true. Mola? <laughs> Mola? What do you mean? 
<laughs> 10,000 miles. Vortex. That's so far. What's wrong with you? Vortex. <laughs> All right, let's see. Oh, geez, that's a 32. Wow. The dice are just taking everything. Oh, yeah. They're, they're just like, yeah, yeah, we're, we're just going to roll with it this time. The dice are high. Yeah, you see, see what I did there? The dice are going to roll with it. Nah. With success okay. rates like this, guys, you got to go grab a scratch ticket and you're going to win some money. So I mean, sincerely. So yeah. Keep Might it up. Keep idea. it going. Yeah. Okay, so for Rockbiter and Teeny Wee. Yep. Okay. We have The Rock and Kevin Hart. Well, <laughs> I mean, yeah, that's pretty much Jumanji right there. Let's see. Yeah. Oh, no, that one didn't make it. That was a 16. That's because it Damn was it. Jumanji. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> okay, there's nothing's got to go out and get out of here. Who wants to go ahead and do that shit? Your elephant rock ass is going to go ahead and look at you. See, I just think it was, I just think it was funny earlier today. Okay. You mentioned The Rock. Earlier today I saw a post that he did about how his daughter absolutely loves Moana. And every yeah. time the song that Maui sings comes on, she makes him sing it with him. And she has yeah. no understanding whatsoever that he's the voice of Maui. None. I saw this. Yeah. Oh, man. It's actually really cool. Well, she's like, what, three? I yeah. yeah, she's three, so it's not going to click, but it's, it's, it's just one of those, yeah. it's adorable. It's like, I love this character. I Daddy, remember my it. fantasy casting choice. Go, go uh, Eddie Murphy for Falcor. Okay. I'm a dragon. I don't do the, I'm not a lizard. Fifteen. Damn it. That's not, nope, not going to happen on that one. Sorry, Kaz. Dishonor on your dice. Dang it. Yeah. I got one for... Go for it. Alright, what you got? Snoop Dogg. As Falcor? As Falcor. Alright. Uh, that's a 21. Mm -hmm. So that just, right, that so just you, made it. Can you oh. just hear the beginning of Jin and... When he's <laughs> saving him from the... Like, you see me fly again and all of a sudden it's just... <laughs> Lead back as he wakes up. You just, every time the camera turns to him, you just hear like a different part of gin and juice. <laughs> hey, seeing as we're still on Falcor, I'm gonna get. I'm gonna throw one out there and see if it works. I'd like to uh, elect Barack Obama to be the voice of Falcor. <laughs> All right. Okay. You see, I am a luck dragon. And um, that's, that's twenty. A, that's a twenty even, so I think that counts. Oh, right. Yeah. So yes, yeah, so I'm a luck dragon. We've only gone uh, nine thousand nine hundred and eighty-one miles um, as yeah. the uh, as the dragonflies. Yourself, you got to go a little further. <laughs> Thanks, Obama. <laughs> Thanks, Falcor. Exactly. It's a perfect opportunity to say thanks, Obama. And exactly. Instead of Falcor, you're like. Thanks, Falcor. Have, have you guys seen the short video online of, like, it's Obama, like, before before he was out of office. He's, like, in the Oval Office. He's got a glass of milk. Mm -hmm. He's got we a cookie. Cut a what was that? You cut out. All right. I don't know if you've seen the video online. It was of Obama before he left office. And it's just him, like, in the Oval Office. He's got a glass of milk on the desk and a cookie. And he tries to dunk the cookie, but the cookie's too big. And he just clink, clink. And he looks at the cookie and goes, thanks, Obama. <laughs> I did. <laughs> Nice. <laughs> and he was a troll. Troll. <laughs> 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 I 
Yeah. Although the best Obama video I've ever seen is when he did a he did one of his last bits with uh, with the uh, the media, and he he had Luther the Anger translate. Yes. <laughs> and it was from Key and Peele. Yep. Yep. But it was actually just. It was just Jordan himself right on the side of him doing it. Yep, that's and right. It's just fucking brilliant. Now see that that was that was some class. That's someone who can take a joke and realize that he's not the most serious thing in the entire world. Right. But right now we've got an orange clown who who can't take any criticism from anyone. No. We live in the dumbest mm. timeline. We do. Yeah. By the way, idiocracy. It's on yeah. Cinemax right now. <laughs> It wasn't supposed uh, to be a prophecy. <laughs> it was supposed to be a comedy. Hey guys, did you know that you can write on Falcor? Uh, yeah, I, ha I looked that up. I looked that up. Isn't there's, that cool? Yeah, there's a. Um, it's like a. It's like a park, or I don't know if it's an amusement park or if it's just like a museum park or whatever. But they actually have like a scale model of Falcor that you can ride for pictures. I need to go there. Yeah. Yeah. No way. I looked it yeah. up. It's make them a roller coaster. It was an it's IMDb Bavaria, thing. Yeah, it was yes. a Bavaria Filmplatz, Munich, Germany, if you're interested. Yes. Yeah. We need to go I to need Munich. I need to go to Germany. So, movie theater time machine field trip? <laughs> oh, yeah. <laughs> no doubt. <laughs> we go to Germany. Why? Why? To ride I want to ride a luck dragon, god damn it. <laughs> <laughs> I've been waiting 30 some odd years for this. <laughs> And you can go ahead and help us get to Germany by going to patron.com. <laughs> 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 I had to throw it out. I mean, that, I, it's I, I, perfect. How else we going to get ourselves? I approve. <laughs> I approve. <laughs> All right. So I guess that probably wraps it up for Fantasy Casting. Uh, yeah, I think so. Well, yeah. see, I, I don't have any more. Uh, Nick, you, you good? I'm good, yeah. All right, so I just want to uh, remind everyone one more time uh, of our uh, Movie Theater Time Machine fan uh, server on Discord. Just uh, check out our uh, check out the Movie Theater Time Machine Facebook page. It's uh, one of the most recent posts. I believe it's a sticky up top. Just click that invite link, come on in, and chat it up with, with us. Where are all the yellow names in there? Uh, and I'll come up with uh, titles for the for the uh, people in the chat. You know, come share memes, tell us what we got wrong, uh, praise us for what we got right. We like that second one a little bit more. Uh, and just Hello. yep, come and hang out and just be a part of the community. Nick. Yes. Nick. Yes. Take us out. All right. So we will be enjoying ourselves next week. Enjoy yourselves, and as always, we really appreciate you listening and giving us a second shot. And be good, take care of yourselves. Don't be too good. Hey, listeners, can you hear me? Is this thing on? Oh. There's a rip in time. The machine is letting some movies through. Kind of weird. I've never seen this. It seems like... I've never seen that happen before, but it's seen weird anomaly. Is this thing on? Hello?